So with Kay Quinn, her answer to this was very uh, immediate and one could argue reactionary. And so she she wipes out the online collection and then things are also removed from being on site as well. So there were a couple. Um, so there's the main gallery and then there's temporary exhibits, mm-hmm. right? So uh, there have been some pieces that people will say, well, those were temporary that were removed. Um, there were uh, furniture that has been removed. There are spots and you can't take pictures in the museum for, for good reason. So it's hard to really keep track. But if you visit certain exhibits, like especially the teratology exhibit, you will see gaps where things okay. used to be. Okay. And so it's hard to conclusively say this has been taken away because. And these things were removed because I know some of you do know people who still work there, obviously, without naming anybody. Um, that uh, it's not as if this these objects each came under review by any sort of larger entity. They were just sort of chosen for based on this one is, is a problem. Let's get it out of here. My friend keeps mentioning the teratology exhibit, um, and teratology is the fetuses in jars most of the time, just for everyone's reference. Thank you. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of feelings surrounding seeing a human fetus in a jar, and a lot of this seems to have been because of personal feelings relating to this from other members of the administration. There is no necessarily real reason for these people to have been taken off of display, especially because we do know um, uh, at least one former uh, retired obstetrician who worked with birthing parents to donate their fetuses who were incompatible with life. Mm -hmm. so that they could continue to teach. These are not necessarily a case of there was no informed consent. Several of these were with informed consent. And this has been brought up multiple times by administration as a problem. Mm -hmm. And there's a really great line. And the the doctor, um, George Davis, who gave a line to, I think it was the Inquirer, but I'd have to check, that said that the parents wanted their grief to have meaning. Mm you know, which I think is incredibly moving. And um, that sort of segues, if if I may, into the different kinds of remains uh, provenance-wise that are on display because there are remains that we don't know where they came from and and that's one issue. And then there are other remains like Carol Orzel, who had FOP and uh, very specifically and uh, intentionally worked to have her skeleton on display alongside Harry Eastlack And something that uh, I will never stop bringing up until it's fixed is that Carol is displayed alongside her jewelry. She loved costume jewelry. And it used to be every year on her birthday, April 20th, they would do a little birthday celebration and they would change up the jewelry that's on display. Um, Very sweet. Which no longer happens. Didn't happen this year. Also, her video, which is just about her treatment and her life. And uh, her condition, she lived at Inglis House, which is a a Philadelphia institution. Um, That is down. Now, it's one thing to say, well, we took down this video that has somebody brushing the teeth of a skull because we thought it was, you know, not appropriate. 
It's another thing to say, this is about a woman's life. This is about her condition. And this is about people who have that condition that can use that video for reference for is their she, own lives. Is she still on display? Yes. yes. She is still on display yeah. with Harry Eastlack. Um, but now but she has no... Now she she's not. She has the same jewelry she's had on display for over a year. Yeah. Um. And, and no video. For, no video. No video up. And there was no birthday celebration. So when, and that kind of leads into a big part of our campaign's contention that this conversation around the respectful display of human remains rings hollow because if this was in fact about the respect for human remains, there would be no reason for anything surrounding Carol to have changed. Similarly, there's a man who had acromegaly, Robert Pendarvis, who donated his heart. His video, and he's still alive. Uh, he had a heart transplant. He had acromegaly, which is also known as gigantism. And he donated his heart. His video has been taken down. He wrote to the museum and spoke in an interview and said that he feels betrayed because mm -hmm. he signed over ownership of his heart and he used that video with his doctors and with other people who have acromegaly for educational purposes. This what, is in these two videos, what in your mind could be the reason that they were taken down? What's I mean, the even reason Carol's video and I've watched it is just it's interviews with her doctors. It's it's information about her life. I cannot imagine anything that someone could find objectionable about it. It is about FOP and it is about her life and her legacy. There is no good reason that it should still be down. Same thing, Robert Pendarvis, it is about his heart. It is about his condition. There is no good reason. And he mm. no longer has the autonomy because he does not own his body part anymore. Right. It is the property of the college of the museum. Right. He has expressed displeasure. And he's not the only one. Right. Quite a few people who have uh, donated items are currently very unhappy with. Yes. And not just that, um, there are some situations where people have been inquiring about donations. And they've been told no new uh, no new acquisitions. Right. They're being ignored. They're either being ignored entirely or mm -hmm. being told no. Yes. Um, and this was a very recent shift. This was, right. they, these are, some of them are people who had been planning for years and had been working with other people in the administration. And then this new administration took over and all of a sudden said, no, no new mm -hmm. acquisitions. And so, and maybe you you ladies can't answer this question because you're not on the inside of this situation. But I I think in in another conversation that the three of us had, we talked about, you know, the the thing that no one seems to be discussing enough right now, which is these individuals who this is what they wanted mm -hmm. and their final wishes are being ignored. They're going through what you would call a second death. Right. It's, it's this idea that has been brought up um, and I've written about several times and I have actually been quoted on um, the idea of the death of memory. You are not yeah. relegating. You are not relegating someone to a restful, a peaceful rest. You are instead mm -hmm. taking away the memory that they have given. Now, I am in part saying this from a Jewish perspective because I am Jewish more culturally than religiously, but I am Jewish. Sure. 
Um, we don't say rest in peace. We say may their memory be a blessing. And every mm -hmm. time that someone walks into the museum and meets Mary Ashbury and learns about her life as much as we know, they are remembering her and she and her memory is a blessing. You are learning about the history of medicine and she is mm -hmm. helping you. And if yeah. someone were to swoop in and say, take her off display, we don't have a way to rebury her. We don't know where she, we don't know her religious affiliation. We don't know her wishes. What would happen is she would go into a storeroom because there's no legal way to just rebury a body where you don't know anything about them. So right. she would just be removed from sight and forgotten. And yeah. not just, it's not just that she is dead, but her memory would now die as well. And that is incredibly upsetting on several levels, not just from an educational standpoint, but from an emotional and personal standpoint, that in many cases, some of the most respectful acts you can do is continue to remember these people. Mm -hmm. And from your perspective, I think that we've established that there are some well-meaning indiv individuals who are coming from a place of no matter what you say, they will always think that this is disrespectful to have these human remains on display, especially if they did not make that choice. That but then there's of. also that we know of uh, that. But there is also a percentage of people who, um, you know, do you think there are individuals who just this is icky for them and they just don't want it there? So there whenever are, we do an interview, I always offer people a tour. I mm -hmm. always say, if you are a local, if you come to town, wear comfortable shoes. If you've got a spare three hours, I will happily take you on a tour. And mm -hmm. most of them take me up on that. But it's I have noted that the museum is not large. So that three hours, people can go through this museum in an hour. And my friend is <laughs> just very thorough. Very thorough. <laughs> very thorough. And that doesn't even count the upstairs or the outside. But... I have had people say to me, I can't, I'm, I'm too squeamish. Uh, one person said, I don't want to be confronted with my own mortality. Which is fair. Which That's is totally fair. fair. And that is kind of another thing about the mutter. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody, no. which is fine. Yep. Not everything uh, has to be for everyone. I don't want to go to MoMA and that's okay. You know, um, but it is not necessarily for everyone. That is fine. There are people who can't stand to look. Cannot. And there used to be a screen when you came in the vestibule that basically said, here's what you're about to see. Yeah. Um, and it was like a slideshow that just gave you a little warning. That was taken down by the administration. Oh, see, that's not. I need is, that. I right. am, For the record, we haven't even talked about this. I am crazy squeamish. I don't want to look at organs. I'm that person. I'm fine looking at like skeletal remains and things like that. I could probably even handle some jarred things, but like I have my limits. I Certainly anything say, involving pain. I will say I used to be like that. And I am now a person who recently did a contract project for a museum that is comprised almost entirely of wet specimens. And part of it is getting used to it. And if that's not something you're comfortable doing, that's also fine. Yeah, but it never is, in my life been squeamish. And but oh, it is it is it's very, a blessing, honestly. It is very <laughs> normal and very valid to have those feelings. And if yeah. it's something you care about, it is also something that with time and effort you can learn to deal with. 
because this was something I decided I wanted to do with my life, I basically just forced myself to sit there. And isn't that most people who get into like any kind of medical field, some people just have iron stomachs and other people like it's a fight. I have to get through this. It's never bothered me, but organs are a little bit tuck and go and they sometimes still are. And that's also okay. Totally fine. But the other thing is that some people consider somebody like me who has, again, I'll reach into a body. I have no problems with that whatsoever. Some people see that as ghoulish. You know, I mean, some, it's not not ghoulish. <laughs> I don't I don't consider that ghoulish. I consider it being comfortable with the human body. I don't yeah. enjoy like gory movies because that to me is overkill. But I have I have organs. I don't un- I don't understand the mentality and not to say I don't respect it because I do, but to me, I have all of these things in me. Mm-hmm. So they're already there. They're just behind a curtain of skin. So I think for me, it's an it's an empathetic thing, too, is like I see I can't handle people getting hurt in front of me. Like I have a very visceral reaction to that. And so seeing probably unconscious, uh, hopefully. Uh, (laughs) uh, But if I'm seeing like a diseased organ or something, depending on what it is. And also you you made a good point before about people's personal experiences certain things in there can be very triggering for them. I could imagine anybody going through the loss of a child yeah. going into that room would be a horror for them, but also don't go in there. You know, right? the flip side is that, and and I'm a person who is a parent. And yeah. when I heard that there may have been a dismantling of the teratology exhibit, I rushed right out and went to visit them because to me, the fact that, and, and some of them are fetuses and some of them are were born but were not compatible with life um, is, mm. is what we call it. So they they may have died shortly after. Um, okay. People refer to them as babies in jars. It's important to maintain the distinction of you know did not make it to birth, etc. Yeah. But it was I feel a very strong maternal sense for the fetal remains because they did not get to live a life, mm-hmm. and they are now being cared for and loved. And to me, I have the opposite response that I think some people have where they're like, this is macabre, this is ghoulish. To me, I want to visit them because I don't want them to be alone. And I actually feel that a lot as well as someone who does work with collections like this routinely. I have a very strong feeling of no one is left to love these. For a lot of the specimens and fetuses and just, you know, parts of people I work with. I'm now living in the UK. A lot of the collections I get to see are even older than the ones at the Mütter. And there is absolutely no one left who remembers them. And I can come in and I can love them. And I can appreciate their beauty and I can appreciate their humanity And that is actually a lot like I am in this field. I am a person who actually does get paid to do stuff like this. And then there are people like my friend who are coming as members of the public who also feel that way. And it is very important that there is, when you go to a museum like the Mütter, there really isn't that much of a difference between someone who is a professional in the field and a member of the public who is passionate and interested and ready to learn. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Get the latest on Instagram and TikTok at The Morbid Museum. Get in touch with us at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com. Consider becoming a supporter of our podcast by joining us on Patreon. Become an official Morbuddy today. As always, we'd like to send a special thank you to all our Patreon listeners. Without you, this podcast really wouldn't be possible. In particular, we want to send extra big, humongous thanks to our Morbid for Life tier buddies, Dennis Barrett and Haley Lamp. Thank you so much, guys. We love you. Until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum podcast. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.